Howdy, folks, and welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I'm Francie, and I'm joined today by Max. How is it going, Max? Going well, Francie. Great. Uh, today, we wanted to talk about the recent and ongoing uh, Tesla semi-truck performance testing, specifically at the Run for Less event put on by the North American Council for Freight Efficiency. This is an event that is also sponsored by Pepsi, who is the lucky owner of 21 Tesla semis, I believe, um, that are in their Sacramento, California location, Cummins and Shell, to name a few sponsors. And overall, this is an event uh, and independent testing effort to help fleets understand the benefits and the challenges of adopting battery electrical trucks in large numbers. And the Run on Less event is running, started on September 11th and is running through the 30th. Like I said, it's independent testing, which is great. Uh, we've already got uh, great data from this that is uh, surprising. It's positive. It uh, is highlighting the reality that this could be possible to electrify, electrify our fleets. And um, of course, the challenges that are standing in the way. And it's tracking the activity of uh, mini trucks, including a pair of Tesla semis, and it's collecting information on the real life scenarios that they would be in traveling around and making essential deliveries that are really dependent right now, of course, on diesel powered trucks and have not really had the chance to have this kind of testing to switch over to the fully electric options. So um, the background is that PepsiCo was the first to get these semis back in December of last year. And now, of course, Tesla, it was a big announcement. They gave the you know, estimated specs on what these trucks were able to deliver. But now we're really seeing it unfold in real time. Max, what's your first take from this event? Yeah, well, first of all, run on less super interesting event. And, you know, uh, I've recently have been like looking into it because I don't know the fleet world as well. And I'm just one so happy that the fleet world is adopting EVs uh, from a serious point of view and seeing the benefits of them for handling hard inclines uh, and for being, you know, high performance, potentially working well with charging infrastructure, which was a big doubt among lots of people until pretty recently, I think uh, we're seeing megawatt charging and other kinds of solutions being deployed. I think in this event, they were running 750 kilowatt charging on the tr uh, trucks, which is very fast, you know, faster than what you see in like passenger vehicles, but really cool nonetheless. And it was neat to see, obviously, Pepsi with a Tesla, which I think is mainly what we want to talk about today, but like so many like produce companies, Frito-Lay, Schneider in the world of trucking, who makes the eCascadia, which is kind of like a competitor or uh, alternative to the Tesla semi. So it's cool to see that like the whole industry is really kind of taking electrification seriously and evaluating its challenges, not just from the perspective of like, okay, what's the truck? What's the powertrain? What's the product we need to solve this? What's the infrastructure on the ground? That's the key question that they realize. And it seems like there's some exciting advancements being made in getting power delivery and in getting infrastructure and in getting, uh, you know, rapid charging that these trucks need along their key routes in place. Uh, and doing it on a quicker time scale. So that's all super exciting. And 
uh, as someone who mainly covers the consumer EV space and hears a lot about people talking about the environmental benefits of EVs, I think for us in the States, this is an even bigger deal because right in the US, we live off trucks and delivery routes, whether it's Amazon packages, Frito-Lay chips, Pepsi beverages, whatever it may be. There's so many goods that are transported right now with kind of diesel powertrains uh, usually. And uh, those are, you know, as we know, not the best in terms of emissions. So having zero emissions electric trucking be possible while, you know, all the things aren't figured out yet, seeing this event being run and go off successfully uh, and all the exciting performance of the Tesla Semi, which I'm sure we'll talk about, it all makes me really happy. I totally agree. And we are so dependent on this. I recently did a road trip from Colorado to Tennessee, and along the way, I saw countless semis um, on the road and then also, you know, parked on the side of the road. You know, I, I imagine them as just like giant little sleeper vans, but they are everywhere and it is a huge part of our society. So definitely there have been doubts on how we could possibly convert this and, you know, can we even do it in a way that can match what we need, the demand that we have for these deliveries and this transportation? So it's really great to see um, the impressive, you know, real world testing. So a bit about um, the uh, specs on the semis when they were announced. So we don't have all the specs, but we um, do know that they have two independent electric motors on the rear axles, and Tesla did report um, just less than two kilowatt hours per mile. And Tesla also said that the semis can travel up to 500 miles in a single charge, and that they can, quote unquote, recover up to 70% of range in 30 minutes using the Tesla semi chargers, uh, which are also known as the mega chargers, which we'll dive into later because the infrastructure that we know, like you're saying, that consumer perspective is the, you know, smaller scale fast chargers, but what is it going to look like? What are truck stops going to look like? What that, what is that kind of access going to be? And how can we really implement it uh, at, at scale? And what kind of timeline does that take? And for this testing, it's important to note that um, I believe these were the standard range semis, so not the long range. So this is the smaller, smaller battery pack. And that means, of course, the cheaper option. And Overall, from the stats, we kind of saw that they overperformed. Would you agree, Max? Yeah, it seems that way because we're approaching right uh, over 400 miles of real world actual tested range on these routes. Uh, and that is, you know, really close uh, to Tesla's promises. And like you said, in terms of actual real world expectations of what we were thinking to see, I think it's really cool. It's promising. It shows that these routes are going to be doable. Oftentimes they're, you know, we're not talking about 300 plus mile routes that commonly. So it shows you that you're going to be able to do a lot of these routes with significant buffer because it's one thing to say, oh, I'm going to push it and get to my next depot or uh, to, to my next stop in an electric car at 2%. But when you're driving a fully loaded semi and you run dead out of energy, that's a much more, um, that you're in bigger trouble, right? I think it's going to be harder to tow something like that. So obviously, I think uh, the the clients, uh, the people using these trucks are going to want some buffer. So it's great to see that they're delivering this kind of performance. Uh, and 
I think we're looking at battery size. This is all speculation, but it's going to be somewhere close to a megawatt hour of capacity uh, to power these trucks that distance. Of course, they're heavy trucks, fully loaded, um, but super interesting. And uh, to me, you know, from the outside of the trucking industry, this seems like big progress and surprisingly close to Tesla's initial promises. Right. And uh, that uh, that's good news to me. I mean, especially if th we're trying to really move this way to underestimate and get uh, better than expected. It's obviously good news. And a bit more information about what these Tesla semis were tasked with specifically. Um, sorry for the fast scrolling. But uh, they were long haul and short haul delivery trips. And the NACFE, who put on the Run On Less event, stated that the Tesla semis will be tracked in a heavy load, long haul transport operations, and they indicated that the trucks will drive over two routes around Sacramento for 18 days. The distance on Route 1 ranges between 250 to 450 miles, quite, quite a big range, with a gross vehicle weight of up to 82,000 pounds while the second route has less than 75 miles per day of driving. And the payload for that second one is described as heavy leaving diminishing load. I'd be interested to see if uh, we have any trucking enthusiasts in the audience, if they have kind of experience with either driving these or in the industry at all to uh, see what they think about this. Uh, what's their experience and what would they kind of think this real life uh testing how it will reflect in the and what the drivers will be experiencing and how it kind of compares to maybe their typical routes more stats from the run um so the tesla semi powerhouse yeah they covered it covered 335 miles on a single charge in eight hours and it ended with a 17.5 percent battery left for a buffer so that buffer you were talking about super great i mean i've i've been on a road trip where um the buffer has gotten in the red zone. And if that was stressful for me, you know, when we start to commercialize it, it uh, it's a big deal. And there was mostly highway driving at 62 miles and miles per hour. And then um, in terms of the efficiency, uh, there was more stats where uh, one of the semis traveled 227 miles in about six hours, ended with a 27% battery remaining and spent half of the time idle, but maintained highway speed. So that idling is interesting too, because again, this is just anecdotal, but on my road trip, um, stopped at a lot of truck stops. I had a, I had a, a big truck and a, a trailer attached. So I went to those truck stops and there is a lot of idling going on. You know, it's not just driving, but it's the, you know, the, the life of the driver as well. Um, and they, I mean, on the long haul trips, it's, there's a lot of time there. So I think that's interesting that they included that too. Again, another real world reflection of uh, what we need to measure if we're going to implement this. Yeah, and I like that you brought that up because if we think about it, right, idling is this uh, in a you know truck that has to run auxiliary power and is running its engine or something uh, to through an alternator and making power. Uh, you're good. That's why you get these you know unpleasant stereotypes of places where truckers go to sleep or stop and leave their trucks idling and running. Uh, with EV powertrains, that's not so much of an issue. Of course, you are idling and running something, but you have a you know relatively comparatively silent 
operation, uh, which is going to be really nice, whether someone's sleeping in the cab or uh, whoever happens to be around that area. I imagine trucking infrastructure and the world of it can just be a lot more pleasant without the constant drone of a you know diesel engine. Definitely. And they were they can hum for a while. And um, again, that brings you back to the infrastructure. I mean, how will truck stops change as we know it? But also, Max, what do we know about the charging infrastructure that will have to be in place for these uh, semis to be converted to battery electric only and be on the roads? Yeah, well, we're looking at megawatt scale charging, as they call it, right? And the passenger car space, we look at like hundreds of kilowatts, like 300 kilowatts, it's rapid charging. In the world of semi-trucks, we're going to need, uh, you know, three times that or more. I think in this, uh, basically, the PepsiCo run out of their depot, uh, one of the uh, trucks was able to do, right, the 800 miles in 24 hours using 750 kilowatt charging, which actually isn't even pushing the envelope that much in terms of uh, what's possible. So I think the megawatt charging standard, which is by Charn and not Tesla standard, but that one will do three megawatts. Uh, and then Tesla seems to be able to push, you know, close to a megawatt on their own system right now, which seems like, you know, if you can cover 800 miles in a, in, in 24 hours, uh, that seems pretty uh, pretty ideal to me in terms of what most real world routes would entail. Totally agreed. Um, and then if we're thinking about how long it'll actually take to implement this infrastructure, it it does take a while. I mean, it says yeah. this estimates a year to three years. I'm yeah, it seems like everyone's complaining that it takes too long. And part of this, I think, is regulatory. Part of this is just logistics in grid base. Like the power companies are like, you want how much power running to this site continuously for like eight hours a day? That's a big ask right. for them. Uh, but it seems like we're going to have to expect these uh, the utilities, the regulatory process, all of this to get more nimble if we want this to take off, particularly in urban areas, right? Because urban areas, traditionally, it's harder to do development. And yet at the same time, you would imagine those denser, more congested areas would be more ideal for electric trucks, considering we're talking about routes that you know are sometimes often less than 100 miles. That seems like a dream scenario because many drivers won't even have to be talking about charging during their shift. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems a bit counterintuitive, you know, the urban settings seemed like they will have the power supply needed compared to the, the rural, but I'm sure there will be challenges at every step of the way. And it'll be interesting to see how we go about those solutions, um, what it will mean for the grid uh, and power storage along the way. Interesting stuff. Yep. Yeah. Additionally, Super interesting. I mean, mm -hmm. Go ahead. No, I'm just like always amazed every time I learn about electric vehicles kind of filling into niches that people thought they would never be ideal for. This was, I think, a domain where until recently, a lot of people were thinking that hybrids or hydrogen of some kind would kind of have to be a fill in or something or potentially the substitute because uh, let's face it, you know, battery full on battery EVs still have their challenges. And we're mainly talking about with the world of trucking, huge weight of these batteries to enable this range that we need and huge cost consequently too to produce these cells. Uh, and so those are areas where I think we're just going to have to let technology, uh, you know, iterate and iterate on. But the fact that this all seems possible right now at this scale is promising. 
It's very promising. I, it's, it's promising and it's exciting. And it makes you think that, of course, there's always going to be doubts, but what is going to surprise us next in terms of electrifying something that we think is going to take much longer or have way more challenges along the way and see what in the reality actually is. And in terms of um, the takeaways, uh, we have fleet owner here who's definitely the expert. Um, and while we know there's general optimism, you can, the audience can hear us, you know, we're pretty optimistic about that. And there are still issues, of course, which is also not surprising, but the key takeaways we wanted to go over, they uh, put them into six broad categories. And in general, small depots are ready for electrification now. And electrification at large depots is becoming more possible. So yeah, this is not super surprising that at the smaller scale, it seems way more uh, achievable at this moment in time. But also that you know, kind of starting small and seeing how it can grow is is coming along for sure. And then how there have been big improvements in the trucks and chargers since the run on less electric in 2021. I also just seeing how uh, things have catapulted in terms of this industry and this technology, you know, over one year. I'm not surprised that since 2021, we've seen improvements as well. What about you? Did you expect to see this i would expect to see improvements and i hope so you know we cover generally i think here in a spec podcast and covering ev news every day every week every month interesting developments in evs so when they have this kind of industry conference or uh getting together of minds it's going to be really exciting to have a two-year gap and then see in those two years everything that's built up since then uh, and it seems like companies like tesla as well as freightliner have been moving just at light speed to actually make this uh once impossible seeming dream at least a little more realistic now definitely a little less out of dreamland and onto the real roads yes. and another takeaway is that the industry needs cost and weight reductions to improve the total cost of ownership now dive a little into this for me max about why you think this is just essential in improving the total cost of ownership here uh, well, total cost of ownership is going to factor in, right, uh, things like tires and all kinds of wear items, which already on heavy passenger EVs we see uh, consumed more frequently. And I can only imagine that, uh, you know, you, rubber on semis is going to actually potentially be a, a balance item worth talking about. Uh, brake wear should be something we see less of with regenerative braking and electric motors, so that can be very exciting. But the cost and weight, I mean, those two things are really heavily associated, not with the motors and the powertrain, but the energy storage, which is the batteries. And current lithium-ion technology, the kind that we're seeing in Tesla Semi uh, and everywhere else, is, you know, it's gotten iteratively more power-dense. Uh, since the uh, you know first kind of really viable uh, c consumer electric vehicles, but at this scale, it's still challenging. And I think to be honest, that for a lot of you know companies that aren't the size of PepsiCo uh, in terms of budgeting how they buy their fleet, they probably are going to want to go for those shorter range, lighter, and consequently less you know tire beating, less road wearing for the public and infrastructure at large um, vehicles. Absolutely. Thanks for that breakdown. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. Uh, if you're going to switch over to a new technology, you're considering all the costs. But this is also, you know, the learning curve of while there's different maintenance required, it is still costly. And I want to add yeah, one more thing. 
Uh, yeah. Less maintenance, I think, overall uh, than uh, c- comes to like a diesel engine or you know complicated yeah. hybrid system like your traditional kind of Cummins powertrain for uh, a freight vehicle. I think you know the warranties. I forget what Tesla's exact warranty on semi is, but I remember it being pretty optimistic, and I could see why. I mean, as long as they can manage the uh, temperatures of the cells and the battery pack. Uh, we have every indication to believe that these powertrains will last with very little maintenance for you know easily a decade plus if what we've seen in the consumer space has anything to go on here. Yeah, great addition. And the next point that they make is that range can be extended with multiple charges per shift at the depot and en route. This isn't surprising to me. You get a longer range if you charge up along the way. Yeah. The question is, can the multiple chargers be viable? Like how long is someone going to have to sit around waiting to fill up, uh, you know, 900 kilowatt hour battery? Uh, If it is a, you know, one plus megawatt uh, of output and the battery pack is able to sustain that and the infrastructure supports it and it has more reliability than what we've seen from third party charge point operators uh, in America specifically, then there's reason to be optimistic. But there's also plenty of reason to be pessimistic about this, I think, uh, because uh, for one, you know, megawatt charging, uh, while it's possible, the actual deployment so far is so small. Uh, and we've, like we've talked about earlier, Francie, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of just red tape to go through to actually get all of these sites ready to charge semis. Definitely. And I know I haven't gotten close to any of the mega chargers. I, I remember Kyle had a video at one, but have you seen one in person? I have not had the opportunity to see one in person. I think I've seen like the demos of the cable handles and stuff, which as you would expect is bigger than your Tesla NACS or your CCS type one uh, port in the US. But uh, it's not just gonna be the handle that's larger. It's gonna be everything, the transformers, uh, the rectifiers, the uh, connections to the grid to actually enable this to happen. I think I read somewhere in the press release uh, that Run On Less had that it was like, five megawatts of continuous power needing to be sent to some sites. I mean, this is a lot. I'm by no means, I'm not a utility or a power expert, but those are massive numbers and not something that I can imagine most existing infrastructure is designed to accommodate. No, I, yeah, I would totally put a bet on that. It's, we're not set up for this. That is a tremendous amount of power. And it would be really interesting to get someone on the podcast in the utility world to help give us and our audience an idea of the logistics of getting these put into place. And, um, you know, it, it could be great. I, I'm also thinking about the community level um, of, you know, folks in the community and how they could benefit from these kind of uh, this kind of infrastructure in their, you know, region, but also the huge investment that goes into it. So while, yeah, this point is not surprising that range can be extended, it is the logistics of, where and how that charging will happen and how long (laughs) and how long how long it will take Uh, so next for the power delivery and infrastructure are still taking too long to be installed as we were talking about um, which is driving the portable and temporary charging so this is a obviously temporary solution band-aid solution backup solution um and you know, I mean, it, it makes sense, but it 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 does not uh, that won't allow us to scale this kind of effort, right? And I mean, it's just a it's a band aid solution to charging. 
yeah, we're talking about very expensive, I think, basically rollable generators of some kind, be they like uh, some kind of hydrogen storage or, uh, you know, Lord forbid, diesel generators kind of, uh, you know, getting us right back to where we started. Uh, you know, th there's ways basically to fill in for massive power gaps that are in right now that they're using, um, but they're expensive. I mean, in, in a more clean way, you could have battery uh, reserves that are used to do this, but that's expensive and heavy as we were talking about with the trucking itself. Um, so the, uh, yeah, we're gonna absolutely need long-term scalable permanent infrastructure. Um, right now, I think this temporary charging is really more for proof of concept to show like, oh, we could do this route if we had a charger here. I can't imagine it's gonna be economical for actual routes and deliveries to be done this way. No, it, I don't think it would make sense to move forward with such a giant effort to have that as the charging solution along the way. But you're right, it does help us get an idea of how this would be possible. And um, yeah, allow this testing as well. And uh, seeing the close to, if not actual real life application of the electric trucking. And then I love this last point, the diversity, passion and capability of the people involved are helping to scale the adoption of electric trucks. This, everyone surrounded, I mean, in this effort is, seems to be excited, optimistic, um, the independent testing, is an interesting portion where we're really seeing, you know, we're not just getting reported specs, but actually seeing how how things could happen in the real world, how these t semis are performing and how we can scale this effort. And it's it's great. There does seem to be passion involved and very, very competent counterparts. And um, in general, like they're on the, the right track. Yeah. The, on the right path and you know as someone who looks at other places in the world i think in some ways it's kind of interesting that in the u.s we have a highway system and so many semis and that's how we our infrastructure works but for better or worse that's the way it is that's the way things have been developed so i mean if we want to talk about uh, making that more sustainable and potentially overcoming other challenges like steep grades right now that are just you know murdering a lot of uh uh, a lot of existing engine technology, then yeah, electric powertrains are an obvious like next step. And they're a very exciting avenue into that. Um, as we've talked about today, Francie, it's not going to come without a, some compromise. And I think benefits from waiting for more of this technology to mature. But it seems right now that it's not like hypothetical anymore. It's okay, we're solving these issues. We've run this conference together. We have all kinds of players doing all different kinds of routes with different kinds of payloads. Uh, it's kind of let's get to brass tacks here and actually get this uh, from, you know, works in this situation of a demo to this works for an everyday route in the real world. And we're getting so close to that now. And I'm so, so excited. It's it's pretty great news. It's really interesting. I love how they've gone about it. Um, I think the data is, is also great to look at. And it makes me wonder what's going to come next. What do you think we can see next from this kind of effort? More testing, actual, you know, I mean, I know we've had actual semis on the road. I mean, this is part of it, but like doing deliveries. What do you think we're going to see next in this space? Uh, I think just larger scale transformation of uh, eventually a majority of class eight tractors on the road having some kind of battery powertrain, whether that be a full battery EV or some kind of hybrid approach. 
Um, I think we're going to see that. And like we were talking about with the infrastructure and trucking depots needing to change, uh, those environments are going to look very different because this is going to require a whole scale industry effort. It's going to require intercompatibility right now. And I don't know too much about the logistics between like who agrees on which megawatt charging stand, for instance, uh, and things like that. So these things will be worked out. And I have no doubt they will be because it's going to benefit everyone. But there's still open questions on that. So I think before we see a large scale deployment of routes that are done on electric trucks, we're just going to have to see the supporting infrastructure and supporting standards um, uh, finalized so that whether someone's running a semi or an e-cascadia or other upcoming things like a Volvo group uh, electric truck that uh, they're able to you know do their route and uh, hopefully uh, these technologies and the way they're used become more interchangeable and accessible uh, because right now right 21 trucks with PepsiCo that's great uh, and it's real but it's not massive scale yet. Right. It's it's only 21 trucks, which is more than we had before. But yeah, like you said, we're going to have to scale it. I'll be interested to see uh, which partnerships come out of this effort. Uh, you know, we we look at and we see news all the time of different organizations in similar fields or with complementary expertises partner together to create solutions. So I'm going to keep an eye out for who will announce the newest innovative partnership that offers a solution in this space. And in general, uh, you know, keep an optimistic outlook. And, uh, you know, I don't want to scope creep at all, but it is exciting for me to think of this infrastructure because this touches, you know, really rural parts of our country as well. Um, trucks go everywhere. Highways pass through big and little towns. And if we're building infrastructure to support fully electric fleets, then I'm curious to know what other people think we can be proactive about as well. You know, of course, we're going to be considering the energy and uh, construction that goes into this infrastructure, but what will complement it that um, maybe we haven't talked about in this podcast or that people aren't talking about yet that could be, you know, figuratively or literally built up along with this infrastructure. So if anyone has any interesting thoughts on that, I would love to hear them. Any last thoughts on the semi-Tesla run-on-less testing, Max? Uh, no, I'm just excited personally as an advocate for EVs. I'll say that again. And I'll echo your point, Francie. I think anyone who's watching this feed on Twitter or on YouTube, on LinkedIn, and you're seeing this and you have thoughts on the industry and some kind of uh, in on like how this stuff is working, uh, please get in touch with Francie because I personally want to hear more about this. And I'm so glad we were able to kind of cover this milestone moment because, right, like, you know, the, the ranges that semis are delivering are proving the haters wrong, but I want to see how this stuff is actually going to work and hear from people really in the know from the industry on it. So I uh, can't wait for that. Great point. Yeah, this independent testing, it's, it's independent testing and it's showing us a lot. And if you would like to reach out to the podcast, feel free to tweet me at hey underscore Francie or email us at podcast at outofspecstudios.com. We're happy to uh, hear your ideas and perhaps have a conversation with you or someone you know on these interesting topics. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Bye. Bye.